Welcome to a new episode of our podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Omero, and I am a member of the organizing team of the 16th edition of the South American Business Forum. And in this opportunity, I am joined by Daniel Leslie. How are you doing today, Daniel? I'm doing very well. Thank you. That's great. Great to hear from you again, Daniel. We want to thank you for being here with us today. Daniel is a founder and managing partner at Reflections, a digital innovation firm based in New York City. He has written and given talks on such topics as startups, technology, and the emerging digital world. We were lucky to have Daniel partaking in last year's conference, where he gave a really interesting talk titled Tribalism in a Hyperconnected World. But enough with our introduction. We are sure that our audience will love to hear who you are beyond what you do for a living. So, Daniel, please tell us, how would you introduce yourself to someone who doesn't know you yet? Sure. Well, it's terrific to be with you. And uh, I have to say that participating in last year's um, South American Business Forum was really uh, one of the highlights of my year. And um, it was it was really quite engaging and, and rewarding. So, um, you know, it, as far as my background, um, it's it's sort of um, a blend of, of a, a couple of different disciplines. Um, Uh, academically, I studied uh, philosophy and computer science um, as kind of the two disciplines that um, as an undergraduate that I studied. Um, and professionally, what what I do is, is you know, I work with a, a really talented team of folks in New York City. Um, and what we do is we um, design and and develop and launch uh, digital products and platforms uh, for you know, all manner of organizations. Um, they range from nonprofits to large companies and also kind of government um, and public institutions. Um, so we are a digital agency at some level, I think is sort of what you might describe us. Uh, but we, we, we do also um, uh, you know, see ourselves as an innovation lab and in that we try to um, create and design novel solutions to, um, to, to business challenges. And, um, we've been around for 20 years. So it's, it's, you know, in the world of technology, that's really sort of an eternity. And so we've had to kind of, um, pivot and evolve over that time. But, um, a lot of the principles we follow are remarkably similar. So, um, so we're a team of about 20 people based in New York. Uh, we have the good fortune of working with organizations around the world. It's great to hear you bringing up your team. It's a pillar in the SABF that we work as a community and when we work as a team, that's where the most and the best ideas come from. You mentioned you work with some NGOs and some other institutions. That brings me back to last week when we were talking about the crisis and the opportunities in these post-pandemic times. And there's a phrase that we were using that a good crisis should never go to waste. We would love to hear about your point of view on what were the existing preconditions to this crisis and what, they are, what are the opportunities that come up with it. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, we are, at some level, we're fortunate um, to, to kind of be witness to a, a moment like this. Um, I think this really is a, a pivotal moment in history. Um, it'll probably go... Uh, down with some of the other um, kind of noteworthy years in the annals of history, you know, some years that come to mind, you know, 1929, 1968, uh, 1989. I think it remains to be seen exactly how disruptive um, this period is and in what way. Um, but the world that we um, left 
um, was a world in which, you know, institutions were already in distress. And this is true, I think, of, um, of, of sort of international institutions of governance, the UN, uh, it, its kind of constituent groups, um, uh, you know, sort of overall international relations, uh, you know, I think had gone through a period of decline. There was a sort of consensus, I think, among uh, commentators that globalization had already started to recede in many in many ways. Um, but what's what's interesting, I think, uh, one interesting facet of that world was that um, that sort of decline and decay uh, was also filtering down to much more sort of tangible local levels and and um, was manifesting itself in ways that were um, you know pretty evident uh, to everyday people. Um, and I think this this is seen in terms of the effects of technology on our lives and kind of how that has played out uh, over the last couple of decades. Um, it's been seen in terms of um, more traditional institutions, uh, certainly the media, uh, the independent uh, media in particular, and the independence of media in general. Um, and I think it's true of, of even... Um, you know, sort of government institutions, not just in the U.S. And you have to keep in mind that I'm coming from kind of the U.S. perspective, but I think this is true in a lot of other countries as well. Uh, the erosion of the independent judiciary, for example, and this is happening um, in a number of places and not just confined to the U.S. Um, or to places like Brazil, but also um, in Europe, uh, you know, places like Poland, for example. Um, uh, so, you know, the EU as an institution, as sort of part of the post-war um, you know, project of Europe is another one of those those institutions that I think is, you know, was already um, seeing a, a kind of decline. Uh, it, it was having some successes, but also was was under, um, you know, duress. And I think this the, one of the effects of this moment is that it will um, sort of accelerate and apply additional pressure to to those pain points that we were already seeing around the world. You were mentioning some of last century's crisis, and the question that comes to my mind is if we learn from history or if we reincide in the same crisis, and in which ways is this crisis different from the ones that came before? Yeah, you know, it's, it, 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 I think in some respects, we're, we're kind of lucky that this crisis happened now and, and as opposed to, say, maybe 20 years ago. Um, you know, one of the differences um, with this crisis is that we do have many tools at our disposal to, um, uh, to, to get through it. Uh, so technology, you know, and, and as is always the case, is often sort of a double-edged sword. Um, you know, the, the ability for large chunks of the economy to actually keep going, it, you know, owes, owes that to technology in many respects. Um, this wouldn't have been true uh, 20 years ago. It probably would have been less true 10 years ago. Um, and so, um, you know, in some respects, I think this crisis is a little different because we actually have some level of, of resiliency that is kind of given to us by by technology and by the tools that we have, um, not to mention the medical advances, which are uh, potentially, you know, going to help with with actually stemming the crisis itself um, in terms of, of the virus. Um, but at the same time, the fact that um, 
that technology is so uh, kind of interwoven uh, into into our lives, into the modern world, also presents a number of risks and it presents a number of, of challenges. Um, you know, um, the, the spread of misinformation is, is probably something that um, is, you know, certainly has been uh, it's been a universal phenomenon throughout human history, but but never at this uh, scale. And I think that that's one of the unique challenges we face, uh, especially as we look to strengthen democratic institutions in the wake of this of this event. Um, and and I think that's going to be one of the unique challenges that that we face going forward. And with this death of independent journalism and this growth in disinformation. Where do you see the dangers in the upcoming times and what are the dangers that disinformation brings? Yeah, I you know it's it certainly has has become a very alarming uh force in the world, uh especially over the last, you know, five or ten years, I think, is is really where it's uh it, mostly enabled by social media platforms. Let's not, you know, kind of uh, dance around the issue. Like those are those are the platforms, specifically Facebook, uh, to a lesser extent Twitter, um, that have really been, um, you know, kind of responsible for 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 this trend. There's also you know other factors involved around broadcast media um, that um, is sort of politically aligned, where you have the sort of erosion of independence. Um, you know, that's a factor too. Um, you know, te- the, the 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 force of of in the U- U.S. anyway, conservative radio and cable news is certainly uh, not gone away. Um, but increasingly, social media is is sort of the vehicle through which this this happens, and um, and it's been pretty alarming to see you know its effects. Um, Facebook. It was recently published a few days ago that Facebook had actually done, and the, and these platforms, you know, they study this. This is not something that they. Um, they completely ignore. I mean, what's remarkable though is that they study it, but they don't. They don't publish their data. They this is information that they keep kind of for their own purposes, um, and they're under really no obligation to to publish this data, at least not currently. Um, and you have to understand where they're coming from. They're trying to promote engagement. The more engagement they have, the more advertising they sell. Um, and uh, you know, their business model really lends itself actually to kind of making sure that people do return and, and engage with these platforms as much as possible. Um, but a, a recent study, where a study that was recently, un, you know, kind of uncovered by the Wall Street Journal showed that Facebook, uh, its own, by its own data, um, discovered that something like 64%, I think, of, of uh, memberships of extremist groups on the platform um, probably wouldn't have actually joined those groups uh, were it not for Facebook's own recommendation uh algorithm and and this is something that's that's uh, you know um pretty alarming um so these these platforms have the effect it's pretty clear of actually um amplifying and reinforcing those those um factors that that it's that they've already sort of introduced and, and have empowered um youtube also has a, as we all know kind of a, a similar um you know really is a uh, you, you might see it as a flaw, but I think from the perspective of the product designers, they see it as a feature, the ability to kind of essentially hook people, but actually hook them in ways that are, that are, that are more um, addictive and ultimately we've, we've seen more, more destructive. So, so those are, I think a lot of the, the, the risk factors, um, and there's really no clear answer, uh, to what to do about it in, in our current 
in our current state. You know, these companies are left to sort of their own devices in many respects. Um, there have been proposals to regulate them. Um, many of those proposals are also potentially flawed and sort of alarming. And so uh, a world in which sort of social discourse is managed and controlled by a handful of these platforms um, is a pretty dangerous world. And I think what we're going to see over the next few years is is that trend actually increase, um, hard as it might be to believe. We were taking journalistic institutions and particularly independent journalism as an example, but expanding the concept for other kinds of institutions, being them governmental or NGOs, is there a lesson they can learn? Is there a key to overcome this crisis? So there are things to be learned from, um, certainly from from history and from other crises that um, you know might be compared with this one. Um, uh, one of the uh, effects of a financial crisis, in particular an economic crisis like this, um, which we've only seen, I think the. You know, uh, we're in sort of the second inning. I mean, of, of of this of this crisis, as far as how it will play out over time, we probably have a couple of years before it will play out, and we have some level of clarity over its long term effects. But, um, but one of the patterns that you often see with economic crises is that when there is a large, um, you know, kind of concentration of wealth and income, uh, and there are um, and certainly distribution of wealth. Um, in a more extreme way after the crisis is over, um, you create really um, challenging and, and actually a very risky environment um, that almost always leads to dramatic political instability and, and change. Um, you know, the economist um, Thomas Piketty has written about this extensively. Um, uh, Noriel Rabini also has pointed this out. Um, as have many others, uh, but you end up in a, a situation where um, you know you're at risk of of serious uh, you know kind of disruption to to public institutions um, due primarily to wealth inequality and income inequality, and these are solvable problems. So you know one thing that that a uh, um, you know government institutions and, and kind of government policy can kind of anticipate is the fact that unless you get ahead of that issue, of the inequality issue early, um, it actually is one of the long-term effects of a crisis like this. I mean, there's a good reason to think that after the financial crisis of 2008-2009, um, the emergence of sort of right-wing nationalist movements in Europe um, was, and, and in the US and in other places, um, was at least partly, to, uh, you know, due to to the financial uh, crisis and its fallout, and so I think one of the lessons to be learned here is is we have to be able to manage um, that distribution of wealth um, in a way that's responsible that allows us to kind of rebuild. Um, you know, as far as NGOs and and groups that really rely on on revenue and and income um, from wealthy benefactors from the government, from other places, um, and from institutional investors and so on, um, you know, they're going to really be in a, in a tough spot. I think you end up in a place where, um, you know, as, as the water recedes, um, only the strongest kind of survive. And you have to get ahead of this issue because not only are you 
facing a, a wave of, of bankruptcies in the private sector, but you're looking at um, a, a level of disruption in, in the um, sort of public sector that is going to be really unrivaled in, in history. Um, and this is true not just of, um, you know, sort of advocacy groups, uh, and, and they will be affected for sure, but even just cultural institutions and kind of the fabric of, of, of uh, what makes, you know, the modern world, uh, you know, a wonderful place to be in many respects is, uh, you know, are, the, are these organizations that we sort of rely on. Um, and the dynamics have changed so much that we have to really get ahead of that issue. And I mean, ultimately what that means, I think it's, it's a tax policy question. It's a, it's a question of kind of, do, do you embrace um, kind of progressive policies around uh, revenue generation and distribution um, and uh, also policies like, you know, public health care and, and other things that uh, will help us kind of land back on our feet. Taking these ideas of wealth redistribution and economic inequality and being technology such a pillar of today's society and communities worldwide, um, how do you see these fractures and in institutions affecting our everyday life? Well, um, you know, as I said before, technology really is a double-edged sword, and, and this is true in almost every in every respect, um, you know, we are, um, on the one hand, uh, sort of slaves to technology. I mean, it's very much, uh, kind of woven into the world now to, to a degree where it's, it's unavoidable. I mean, if you want to be a participant in the modern world, uh, you, you, you need a smartphone, um, and you, you need to kind of be, a uh, on these, these platforms that, that enable so much toxicity, but also are really kind of the backbone of, of modern communications. Uh, you have to be willing at some level to let your data be mined, to, to uh, you know, to kind of be monetized in a sense, to be micro-targeted. <laughs> this is the trade-off that is required to really be um, kind of an active member of society. I mean, you could imagine what it would take for somebody to, to sort of go off the grid, so to speak, with respect to, to uh, social media and data tracking. But that's not really viable for most people. Um, so given that reality, uh, you know, what, what does technology do for us? And I think this is, this is the, the question that's often overlooked, but it, it's, it's an important one, is how can technology help us um, survive crises like this? How can they help us rebuild? Um, how can we leverage these platforms to our own benefit? Um, and I think it, it will come down at some level to some of the just kind of basics, uh, you know, uh, community organizing, uh, you know, kind of building solidarity with, with other people that have and other groups that have like-minded interests. Um, as toxic as some of these platforms are, they actually are terrific tools for that sort of grassroots organization. And I think that's the key is to, is to, you know, use them to our benefit, um, in a way that ultimately empowers us to maybe change them and to maybe, um, you know, rebuild the world in a way that is, uh, more closely aligned with our values and with our vision for what the future should be. Um, if you were to leave that up to Facebook, um, I think we'd be in for a pretty dark future indeed. Um, so, you know, Facebook, I, I think it, 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 it provides some nominal value as an, a tool for, for connecting people that that's been kind of their, their, uh, their value proposition all along. Um, it's largely a smokescreen from their point of view. Uh, but there is some truth to it. And I think that the key is to, uh, to organize, to, uh, use these platforms to, 
to kind of connect like-minded people and um, ultimately to build um, you know, solidarity and to build a movement. Um, and we've seen pockets of this emerge, um, especially in the U.S. There have been some really encouraging um, indications that there is, um, you know, there, there are some grassroots, uh, you know, communities and movements to essentially, um, you know, reset uh, some of these public policies that have set us on a on a collision course with disaster. Um, and that needs to be kind of a global movement. And that it can be a global movement through platforms like this. But um, there are headwinds. And I think there are um, forces at work that we have to be very mindful of uh, as we as we use these, these platforms. What you were saying on bringing people together and creating community takes me back to one of the SABF's pillars, which is the community itself bringing together today's leaders with tomorrow's leaders, our youth today. So in that matter, I would like to ask you if there's a message you would like to convey for today's youth. Yeah, you know, in some sense, um, I mean, this sounds harsh, but, uh, you know, if, if you're um, of a younger generation, um, you know, this is actually kind of the best time in your life for a crisis like this to happen. Um, you know, there's a Bob Dylan line. Uh, if you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. At some respect, you know, this is true. Um, the ability to uh, bounce back and to kind of, you know, use this crisis to your advantage is, I think, actually uh, uniquely favors the young uh, in, in some respects. Um, because they do have, you know, you, you have your whole life ahead of you. Um, so you, you, you do have that advantage. I've seen it before. Um, I've seen it uh, unfold, you know, kind of in terms of, of green shoots coming from the ashes of, of crisis. Um, I think remember that um, there's a lot of opportunity here, uh, especially around trying to mold the future that you want. Um, this is one of these unique moments in history where, um, you know, one of the uh, effects of of uh, kind of a, a weakened uh, international community of, of institutions is that you have the chance actually to kind of somewhat reshape them um, and to and to rebuild them, um, and so that that is something I think it should not be lost in the mix here. Um, this is a, a moment of opportunity and empowerment. Uh, it will require uh, real coordination, as you say. Community is kind of at the core of success. There's no way that individual actors, without working together, could affect that kind of change. Um, but uh, to to I think see this as an opportunity for yourself personally to participate in molding and crafting a 21st century that um, actually makes progress and aligns with 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 your values is is a rare opportunity. It doesn't happen uh, all the time. And so uh, I think keep, you know, try to take that to heart. I'm sure it's a very stressful and anxious period for many people, especially younger people who are entering the workforce where it's unclear, you know, exactly how you're going to generate an income. Um, but I, I think obviously that that is an important question to solve. But but the opportunities have actually grown, I think. that That's the message to, to take away. Thank you very much, Daniel. That's a lovely message. Where can we find you online? So um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Dan Leslie, uh, and uh, you can also find me on uh, Medium and some other places. Uh, my website is danlesley.co, um, and I published an article uh, just today that 
covers some of these topics. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I have uh, maintained some relationships with some of the SABF folks from last year. I'd love to engage with the audience. Feel free to reach out to me um, and um, would absolutely be happy to answer any questions and also, um, you know, try to connect people to opportunities because um, there certainly is going to be need for uh, motivated and bright um, young people to to help us, um, you know, build out of, after this crisis is over. Thank you very much, Daniel. As always, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure to join us on our next episode.